Welcome to the Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery, where every death had a life and every life had a story. My name is Jenny Johnson. Hello, and I'm Diane Hartshorn. Happy New Year's Eve. Happy New Year's Eve to you. I hope you had a great Christmas celebration. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, and you? We did. We, um, it was quiet. It was my little family, my mother-in-law, and then our oldest daughter's boyfriend was allowed to come as well. So we enjoyed that. Now we're just kind of enjoying the rest of this week. Um, I fortunately have it off. That's wonderful. Um, I know. I had some PTO to use up and I was like, well, I'll just take the last week off. There's not a whole lot that I do during the last week anyway for my job. So I figured I might as well stay home, enjoy our decorations for another mm-hmm. few days. We'll leave ours up until after Three Kings Day because we always do that. So January 6th, we do the whole 12 days of actual Christmas. Not that we really do anything for those 12 days, but we leave the decorations up. It's a good excuse to leave the decorations up. It is. The only reason we might take them down early would be if like a big snowstorm were going to come in or something and mess up being able to take them down. But otherwise, the outdoor stuff will leave up until then and the tree will stay up. And it is. It's nice and cozy to have the decorations. I really kind of enjoy it. If it was up to me, I leave them up all winter. (laughs) It just, I don't know, just makes everything so happy and warm and cozy. I agree. I like it. Um, another thing that we wanted to mention before we get into the rest of the the episode, um, we wanted to give a thank you to the association for gravestone studies. They did a nice little feature of the podcast in their December newsletter that just came out. And so we just wanted to say thank you very much for including us in that. We feel very special when we see our, our podcast in print like that. It's exciting for us. Um, and also thank you for featuring one of my photographs on the cover because that was fun to see too. Yeah, I'm going to definitely have to read that um, that edition so I can see your photograph. That's yes. that's really exciting. It was it's a like I said, the photograph I took at the Littleton Cemetery in Littleton here in Littleton, Colorado. And it's um, I can't remember the name of the sisters, but it's a pair of sisters who um, are buried together, who were several years apart in age, but died really close together. Um, I mean, I think it was less than a year apart in their deaths. And so I'm kind of wondering, you know, if they were like spinster sisters who took care of each other all their adult lives. And so the, whoever buried them saw fit to make sure they got a nice headstone and everything. I don't know. I don't know their story, but it kind of fascinates me. And I'm hoping at some point to learn more about them because it was just a neat grave to come across. And so I'm glad I took that photo and it's kind of fun that it gets featured on the newsletter. So um, that's exciting. I will say things like that just don't happen by accident. No, I know, right? It was it was um, serendipitous that I came across that particular. I do spend a lot of time wandering in that particular cemetery only because it's for my day job. It's kind of on my route for what I do for work, and so that I've had a lot of lunch breaks there, with especially with COVID, because you know it's a great place to social distance and have a quick lunch, and then I get a chance to walk through sections that I haven't walked through before and take some new pictures, and so that's I do that. A lot, actually. <laughs> My lunch breaks in the cemetery. I like it. But that, like I said, that one's an easy one for me to get to on a regular basis. Um, we thought we would end this year with one more fun story episode uh, before we do our usual historical stories. Uh, Diane recently introduced me to the Spoon River Anthology by Edgar Lee Masters. And just like Diane, I became smitten. I remember being introduced to this. So it must have been about 10 years ago. I had never heard of it before. And I found a copy of it. And at first it was a little 
difficult to get into because it's written as if the people were actually telling their story. So it's not like, like historic fiction or anything. It's just free verse poems. And once you start reading it and you pick up the cadence of it, then it's like, you can actually almost hear their conversations or, or picture them standing by their grave, telling their story or their neighbor's story. So, and it is really glad that you enjoyed it as well. I did. It was super, like you said, once you get into it, the first couple of poems were kind of like, hmm, but then you get into it further and further. And I discovered, you know, how like there's some juicy tidbits in there. It was almost Kardashian like in some of the, the conversations. And it cracked me up because I was like, this was written in the early 1900s, but we got some drama going on in this town. So it was <laughs> Definitely a lot of fun to read. So we hope that you guys enjoy this today. Next week, uh, we will resume our usual um, featuring of a cemetery and uh, the stories or a town, however we want to do it. But we'll get back into our more normal uh, historical episodes. But we just thought we'd end the year with something a little bit fun. Um, So according to Wikipedia, and I just want to stay right here, I don't often use Wikipedia for my historical research. It's not always super accurate for that. But it did have some good information for this particular um, bit on the Spoon River Anthology. So according to Wikipedia, Spoon River Anthology, published in 1915 by Edgar Lee Masters, is a collection of short free verse poems that collectively narrates the epitaphs of the residents of Spoon River, a fictional small town named after the Spoon River, which ran near Masters' hometown of Lewiston, Illinois. The aim of the poems is to demystify rural and small town American life. The collection includes 212 separate characters, in all providing 244 accounts of their lives, losses, and manner of death. Many of the poems contain cross-references that create an unabashed tapestry of the community. The poems originally were published in 1914 in the St. Louis, Missouri literary journal Reedy's Mirror under the pseudonym Webster Ford. Many of the characters who make appearances in Spoon River Anthology were based on people that Masters knew or heard of in the two towns in which he grew up, Petersburg and Lewistown, Illinois. Masters sometimes greatly disguised the names of these real-life inspiration, but he sometimes disguised them only barely, and in a few cases, not at all. Most notable is Anne Rutledge, regarded in local legend to be Abraham Lincoln's early love interest. Though there is no actual proof of such a relationship, Masters heard this legend from his grandfather. Rutledge's grave can be found in a Petersburg cemetery and a tour of graveyards in both towns, especially Oak Hill Cemetery in Lewistown, reveals most of the surnames that Master applied The Spoon River Anthology has been adapted into many musical pieces, songs, plays, and other artistic works throughout the years. It would take several hours to read the entire anthology, so we have chosen just a few pieces we thought would be fun to share with you today. However, if you are interested in the whole thing, there are several audio editions available for download, or you can also read the entire anthology for free on Project Gutenberg. The Hill. Where are Elmer, Herman, Bert, Tom, and Charlie, the weak of will, the strong of arm, the clown, the boozer, the fighter, all are sleeping on the hill. One passed in a fever, 
One burned in a mine. One was killed in a brawl. One died in a jail. One fell from a bridge, toiling for children and wife. All, all are sleeping, sleeping, sleeping on the hill. Where are Ella, Kate, Mag, Lizzie, and Edith? The tender heart, the simple soul, the loud, the proud, the happy one? All, all are sleeping on the hill. One died in shameful childbirth, one of a thwarted love, one at the hands of a brute in a brothel, one of a broken pride in the search for heart's desire. One, after life in faraway London and Paris, was brought to her little space by Ella and Kate and Mag. All, all are sleeping, sleeping, sleeping on the hill. Where are Uncle Isaac and Aunt Emily, an old towny Kincaid and Savine Houghton, and Major Walker, who had talked with venerable men of the revolution, all, all are sleeping on the hill. They brought them dead sons from the war and daughters whom life had crushed and their children fatherless, crying, all, all are sleeping, sleeping, sleeping on the hill. Where is old Fiddler Jones, who played with life all his 90 years, braving the sleet with bared breast, drinking, rioting, thinking neither of wife nor kin, nor gold, nor love, nor heaven? Lo, he babbles of the fish fries of long ago, of the horse races of long ago at Clary's Grove, of what Abe Lincoln said one time in Springfield. Hod Putt. Here I lie, close to the grave, of old... Bill Pearsall, who grew rich trading with the Indians and who afterwards took the bankrupt law and emerged from it richer than ever. Myself, grown tired of toil and poverty and beholding how old Bill and others grew in wealth, robbed a traveler one night near Proctor's Grove, killing him unwittingly while doing so, for which I was tried and hanged. That was my way of going into bankruptcy. Now we who took the bankrupt law in our respective ways sleep peacefully side by side. Ollie McGee. Have you seen walking through the village a man with downcast eyes and haggard face? That is my husband who, by secret cruelty never to be told, robbed me of my youth and my beauty till at last, wrinkled and with yellow teeth and with broken pride and shameful humility, I sink into the grave. But what think you gnaws at my husband's heart? The face of what I was, the face of what he made me. These are driving him into the place where I lie. In death, therefore, I am avenged. Fletcher McGee. She took my strength by minutes. She took my life by hours. She drained me like a fevered moon that saps the spinning world. The days went by like shadows, the minutes wheeled like stars. She took the pity from my heart and made it into smiles. She was a hunk of sculpture's clay. My secret thoughts were fingers. They flew behind her pensive brow and lined it deep with pain. They set the lips and sagged the cheeks and droop the eye with sorrow. 
My soul had entered in the clay, fighting like seven devils. It was not mine. It was not hers. She held it, but its struggles molded a face she hated, and a face I feared to see. I beat the windows, shook the bolts. I hid me in a corner, and then she died and haunted me, and hunted me for life. Cassius Huffer They have chiseled on my stone the words, His life was gentle, and the elements so mixed in him that made that nature might stand up and say to all the world, this was a man. Those who knew me smile as they read this empty rhetoric. My epitaph should have been, life was not gentle to him, and the elements so mixed in him that he made warfare on life in the which he was slain. While I lived, I could not cope with slanderous tongues. Now that I am dead, I must submit to an epitaph graven by a fool. Amanda Barker. Henry got me with child, knowing that I could not bring forth life without losing my own. In my youth, therefore, I entered the portals of dust. Traveler, it is believed in the village where I lived that Henry loved me with a husband's love, but I proclaim from the dust that he slew me to gratify his hatred. Benjamin Painter. Together in this grave lie Benjamin Painter, attorney at law, and Nig, his dog, constant companion, solace, and friend. Down the gray road, friends, children, men and women, passing one by one out of life, left me till I was alone with Nig for partner, bedfellow, comrade in drink. In the morning of life, I knew aspiration and saw glory. The she who survives me snared my soul with the snare which bled me to death. Till I, once strong of will, lay broken, indifferent, living with Nig in a room back of a dingy office. Under my jawbone is snuggled the bony nose of Nig. Our story is lost in silence. Go by, mad world. Mrs. Benjamin Painter. I know that he told that I snared his soul with a snare which bled him to death. And all the men loved him and most of the women pitied him. But suppose you are really a lady and have a delicate taste and loathe the smell of whiskey and onions and the rhythm of Woodsworth ode run in your ears while he goes about from morning till night, repeating bits of that common thing. Oh, why should the spirit of mortal be proud? And then suppose you are a woman well endowed and the only man with whom the law and morality permit you to have their marital relation is the very man that fills you with disgust every time you think of it, while you think of it, every time you see him. That's why I drove him away from home, to live with his dog in a dingy room back of his office. Daisy Frazier did you ever hear of Editor Whedon giving to the public treasury any of the money he received for supporting candidates for office? Or for writing up the canning factory to get people to invest? Or for suppressing the facts about the bank when it was rotten and ready to break? Did you ever hear of the circuit judge helping anyone except the Q Railroad or the bankers? Or did Reverend Pete or Reverend Sibley give any part of their salary earned by keeping still? 
or speaking out as the leaders wished them to do to the building of the waterworks? But I, Daisy Frazier, who always passed along the street through rows and nods and smiles and coughs and words such as, <clears throat> there she goes, never was taken before Justice Amit without contributing $10 in cost to the school fund of Spoon River. Minerva Jones. I am Minerva, the village poetess, hooted at, jeered at by the yahoos of the street for my heavy body, cockeyed, and rolling walk. And all the more when Butch Weldy captured me after a brutal hunt. He left me to my fate with Doc Myers, and I sank into death, growing numb from the feet up, like one stepping deeper and deeper into a stream of ice. Will someone go to the village newspaper and gather into the book the verses I wrote? I thirsted so for love. I hungered so for life. Indignation Jones. You would not believe, would you, that I came from good Welsh stock? That I was purer blooded than the white trash here? And of more direct lineage than the New Englanders and Virginians of Spoon River? You would not believe that I had been to school and read some books. You saw me only as a rundown man with matted hair and beard and ragged clothes. Sometimes a man's life turns into a cancer from being bruised and continually bruised and swells into a purplish mass like growths on stalks of corn. Here was I, a carpenter, mired in a bog of life into which I walked thinking it was a meadow with a slattern for a wife. And poor Minerva, my daughter, whom you tormented and drove to death, so I crept, crept like a snail through the days of my life. No more you hear my footsteps in the morning resounding on the hollow sidewalk, going to the grocery store for a little cornmeal and a nickel's worth of bacon. Dr. Myers. No other man, unless it was Doc Hill, did more for the people in this town than I. And all the weak, the halt, the improvident, and those who could not pay flocked to me. I was good-hearted, easy Dr. Myers. I was healthy, happy, and comfortable fortune. Blessed with a congenial mate, my children raised, all wedded, doing well in the world. And then one night, Minerva, the poetess, came to me in her trouble, crying. I tried to help her out. She died. They died at me. Their newspapers disgraced me. My wife perished of a broken heart, and the pneumonia finished me. Mrs. Myers, he protested all his life long. The newspapers lied about him villainously, that he was not at fault for Minerva's fall, but only tried to help her. Poor soul, so sunk in sin he could not see that even trying to help her, as he called it, he had broken the law, human and divine. Passers-by, an ancient admonition to you. If your ways would be ways of pleasantness and all your pathways peace, love God and keep his commandments. Leroy Goldman. What will you do when you come to die if all your life long you have rejected Jesus and know as you lie there, he is not your friend? Over and over I said, I, the revivalist, ah, yes, but there are friends and friends. 
and blessed are you, say I, who know all now. You have lost, ere you pass, a father or mother, or old grandfather or mother, some beautiful soul that lived life strongly and knew you all through and loved you ever, who would not fail to speak for you and give God an intimate view of your soul as only one of your flesh could do it. That is the hand your hand will reach for to lead you along the corridor to the court where you are a stranger. Theodore the Poet As a boy, Theodore, you sat for long hours on the shore of the turbid spoon, with deep-set eyes staring at the door of the crawfish burrow, waiting for him to appear, pushing ahead, first his waving antennae, like straws of hay, and soon his body, colored like soapstone, gemmed with eyes of jet. And you wondered in a trance of thought what he knew, what he desired, and why he lived at all. But later, your vision watched for men and women, hiding in burrows of fate amid great cities, looking for the souls of them to come out, so that you could see how they lived, and for what, and why they kept crawling so busily along the sandy way where water fells as the summer wanes. I'm afraid that is all we have time for today. Perhaps we could share more of the Spoon River Anthology in future episodes. I think that is an excellent idea. We hope you have enjoyed some of the town dramas we shared today. This is what Diane and I hope to achieve with this podcast, sharing the stories of those who are buried in cemeteries all over the country and the world. Stories that would be forgotten if we didn't retell them to be passed down from generation to generation. If this is your first visit to the podcast, please be sure to go back and listen to our previous episodes. You can find them at our website at www.theordinaryextraordinarycemetery.com or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have listened to several or all of our episodes and love them, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This will help others to find us and listen too. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery and on Twitter at Ord Extra Sim. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for joining us each week. We hope you have a safe and happy New Year's Eve. Yes, here's to a bright new future in 2021. Until we meet again next year. <laughs>